Welcome to the Multifamily Wealth Podcast. I'm your host, Axel Ragnarsson, and on this show, I dissect how seasoned multifamily investors started, built, and scaled their businesses. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another quick solo episode here on the Multifamily Wealth Podcast. In this episode, I'm going to be talking about a simple partnership structure that active multifamily investors can use when buying deals and working with just one large LP. And another way of describing this is a simple partnership structure that investors can use when just working with a money partner, right? Just one one individual writing the check to capitalize the deal, which is one of the most simple partnerships you can have. You have somebody finding the deal, operating the deal, and securing the financing. And then you and then you have another investor who is just writing the check, who's just investing as a silent money partner. So First thing, as a disclaimer here, this is not legal advice. Consult an attorney when you're raising money and when you're putting together these operating agreements. I'm not an attorney. I'm just a dude with a podcast. So you know, do all of your diligence here before you come back to me and, and tell me something went wrong. So what I'm going to share is just a conceptual way that you can think about actually putting this relationship together and papering this partnership. And this is a question I, I constantly get online, right? It's like a lot of folks that are looking to scale their business. They know they need to go and bring in an investor or a partner that can fund their deals or deal that whatever the next one is, and they don't know how to do it. So let's use a hypothetical situation to kind of walk through how, how I would personally think about doing this and how I have done this in the past in our business. You know, let's say you're an investor, you've done a, a, a few small deals, you've bought a duplex, a three unit, something like that. And, and then you get a call with a lead on a 10 unit building, right? 10 units, million bucks, whatever it is. And you're like, all right, cool. I want to go buy this, but I don't have enough money to go put the 25% down and then also to fund the construction and the closing costs and to put some capital in the bank, in the operating account for reserves. Let's say you need $350,000. You need 35% of the purchase price to capitalize this deal. You need 25% to close the loan. Another five, 10% for construction, you know, maybe some light unit turns, operating reserves, closing costs, transaction costs, et cetera. So you need 350K, but you don't have 350K, right? So you got to go figure out where to get this. You do know somebody in your network who's got some money and, and who likes investing in real estate. And let's say you call him up and he or she is willing to invest $300,000 and you bring the other $50,000 to close it. In terms of how you structure that, you can structure that in any number of ways, right? Uh, as it relates to how much capital each individual needs to invest. Can that investor bring all the money? Sure, that's possible. But when you're working through lending, if you're working with a traditional bank or credit union, they might look at the operating agreement and have a problem with the primary borrower who's signing on the loan having no skin in the game. In fact, it's probably a non-starter for most banks. So you should probably be bringing some capital to the table here. So let's just say for round numbers, you'll bring 50, the investor brings 300, right? They bring the rest. Now this investor, they don't they don't want to be involved in the management of the property. They don't want to be involved. They don't have to sign on the loan. You know, they don't, they don't want to personally guarantee the loan. They just want to write a check and they just want to receive cash flow distributions and, and, and a percentage of the equity and so on and so forth. So the easiest way to do this is to compensate them with a preferred return, just like any other syndicated real estate deals or, or most other syndicated real estate deals, I should say, not all. You have some kind of preferred return, you got some kind of split above that. So how do we arrive at what that needs to be? It's going to be totally dependent on the deal and the risk profile. It's going to be totally dependent on this investor and what this investor wants to make. 
So I can't give you a hard answer here, but you should think about putting together some kind of preferred return with a split above that. Now, you also need to be mindful of as an investor who's looking to close the loan that most banks are going to require anybody that has more than 20% equity in the project or 25%, depending on, on, on you know the lender and what their internal underwriting requirements are, to sign the loan as a guarantor, especially this size loan, right? This is a small loan if we're talking a million-dollar deal. So how do you get around that? Well, you give them less than 20% of the deal. And, and this is where you can speak with an attorney in terms of how you paper the operating agreements, in terms of maybe there's a way that you can create language that compensates them in a different way, them being the, the investor in this situation. And maybe there's some ways in which you can arrange legal structure with the investor that makes sense. But what I'll describe is just a very simplistic way of thinking about it. So let's say you decide to compensate this investor with a 10% preferred return. So the first 10% in cash flow distributions and in proceeds, in terms of if you were to go and sell the property in a year, goes to the investor, right? Your, your money partner and you for your little 50K that you have in the deal. It's split prorated, but the bulk obviously going to your investor. And then what happens if you have proceeds above that or cash flow distributions above that? Then you get into a profit split. And maybe you do an 81%, 19% profit split, right? And then in the operating agreement, they have 19% of the equity, you have 81 and you're getting past all these loan challenges. So, and, and you know, maybe after you do the analysis, the financial analysis in terms of what that investor makes, maybe now they're making 13, 14, 15%, something like that. Who knows, right? Whatever it is. And that keeps your investor or makes your investor happy. That allows a deal to, to get closed and then you're off to the races. So that is a possibility, right? And then you need to do some things to be SEC compliant. That investor should be involved in some capacity in some decision-making processes. You should agree when you sell. You should, you know, maybe they're involved in the asset management here or there where you're you're keying them in for key decisions and at least having conversations. Because if they are truly passive, you've now crossed the threshold from an SEC standpoint to where you are now a GP who is entirely responsible for this LP's returns. You're starting to get into some security law, SEC law. Speak with your attorneys, right? I'm not here to be your attorney. But what I'm trying to do is give you a conceptual roadmap on how you can put these types of deals together. And this is something we've done quite a bit. The challenge is going to be the equity threshold with the bank. And you need to be mindful of that as you put these deals together. And frankly, for that reason, it's a lot easier to raise money from numerous individuals in smaller chunks because you're therefore assigning a lesser equity percentage to all of these investors. If you're bringing in one big investor, you likely got to do a big pref with a smaller equity split and structure it in some capacity like that. But that is the short, easy roadmap to structuring a deal. If you have an investor that's willing to sign on the debt, it opens up a whole new slew of possibilities because then you can start to do lower prefs and higher splits because they're not worried about the you're not you're not worried about the equity percentage and that being a problem with the bank. So to make a long story short. This is just one example of how you can structure these deals, but it is the foundational structure that we build off of. Pref splits, what do we need to do in order to make this make sense? It's just a much easier way to structure a deal because it's a very easy it's, it's very easy to communicate with an investor. You're going to earn this preferred return. We're going to stay current with it. We're going to make those distributions throughout the year. That's going to be your cash on cash return. And then we're going to have some split above that. And that's where you participate in the overall value creation of the deal itself. So I hope this was a helpful video for uh, a lot of investors out there that are looking to start putting together these types of JVs, these partnerships, or put together deals with this structure. 
And if you did learn something in this episode, please leave the show a rating and a review. Helps us get in front of more folks, as you know. And I'll catch you guys on the next episode. Mm -hmm.